Um, have you ever had uh, a time when you heard somebody speak and it changed your life? It changed the way that um, your, your trajectory, you were going, heading this way and, and then you heard something and then it, you shifted to this or maybe you shifted like this. Um, I know that that's happened. I know that my parents had an influence on me in their words. I know that there have been people, but I, I can't remember a lot of those times mainly because I have a terrible memory, but also because, uh, you know, there's just so many things that are said to us and they affect us in different ways. But there are things there are times that I that I can remember uh, moments that I can remember. Somebody spoke. Maybe it was a sermon or a lesson. And I can remember the, the place. I can remember kind of what they said. And I, I know that it changed me. There was one time when I was on a retreat with just a few people. And there was a preacher named Albert Lemons that was leading this retreat. And Daryl Shakin said he knows who Albert is. I'm assuming Albert is retired now because uh, he was older when when he led this retreat. He's still preaching. Okay. He's in he's in Franklin, Tennessee, or he was last time. So you should check him out there. Um, but he was leading this retreat, and Albert is passionate about prayer. He is. And his, his hero is a man named George Mueller. And if you haven't read George Mueller's biography, you should go and read it. And that might be one of those moments for you. Um, but he was speaking and uh, it was early in the morning. And he said, you know, guys, he just kind of paused on what he was saying. He said, I just have to say, last night I woke up. It was maybe three o'clock in the morning. And I just I was in the presence of God. I was in the throne room. And I just began to lift you guys up I, I, and I prayed the rest of the night away. And, he, and as he spoke about this time in prayer, um, it just it impacted me so deeply because this was an older uh, Christian man that I really admired. He was from the heritage of churches that I grew up in where we didn't talk about kind of prayer in that way and encountering God in that way. But he was so passionate and he was so. Um, excited about spending time with God in prayer that I wanted I wanted that same passion. I wanted that same experience. I wanted to love God and want to be close to him the same way that Albert did. And so ever since that moment, I have felt more passionate about God and about prayer because of the words that he shared. Now, some words have been power enough to change generations and countries and people. There's... Um, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, you know, like famous uh, speeches of the past, uh, the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, JFK, when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I know that folks that heard that, a lot of them said, you know, after he said that, it really changed the way I thought about being a citizen of this country. I wanted to figure out what can I do for this country. And so words can have an impact like that. Now, we are... um, we're delving into perhaps one of the greatest sermons, if not the greatest sermon of all time uh, today. And I think that uh, I, I think that the Richardson MC has been talking some going, going through Matthew and getting into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it was a sermon that certainly changed the people that listened to it. And, and in, in fact, just changed the whole world. Um, it was recorded by a man um, named Matthew, uh, some people knew as Levi, that was a collector of taxes. He worked for the man, uh, and uh, he not only worked for the man, but he also skimmed some off the top, and, and people you know, 
really disliked him because he was like a fraud and a thief. And, um, but when he met this young rabbi, this young teacher, his life was changed. And he recorded this sermon for us. Now, I know that for many of us that have grown up in church, we're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. We've read it. We've heard sermons about it. We've memorized parts of it. We may be memorizing parts of it now. Um, there's always been parts of the Sermon on the Mount that I loved and that I memorized and that I really liked. And then there's other parts that I'm like, yeah, we could you know, do without that. <laughs> it's more difficult. Um, and those are the parts we asked Melinda to read today. Um, <clears throat> and she did well in that. But the first people that heard the message, the Sermon on the Mount, they didn't get to pick and choose what Jesus was going to say to them that day. They just got the full message. They got the, the parts that where they were being blessed. They got the parts where they were being challenged. And so I think it's good for us to not just hear the, the blessings and the, the promises, but also to hear the parts that make us feel kind of uncomfortable. Because um, that's what Jesus said. That, that's the message that changed the world was the, both the invitation and the challenge. Now, what I'd like to do, I want you to use your imagination uh, some. I want you to picture yourself uh, alive 2,000 years ago. You live in a little village, a little rural village, and um, you've heard that there's this preacher, that this young rabbi that is stirring things up. Wherever he goes, people... Talk, talk, talk about all that he's having to say. And not only that, but the things he's doing are just, you hear, are incredible, miraculous even. And you're not sure about what all the hubbub's about, but you're definitely interested. You want to find out more. And so one day you hear a rumor, you hear people talking. He's coming close by. He's coming close by. And so what do you do? You gather your things together. You say, well, I'm, I'm gonna, definitely going to go and listen to him speak. Uh, you, you make up a sack lunch, you get your kids together because you're not going to leave them at home by themselves. You get your spouse ready because your spouse needs to be gotten ready. And uh, you load up and you, you walk out the door and you notice that other people in the village are joining you. And you're walking out to where uh, you've heard that he's going to be and you start to notice that a crowd is gathering. And there could be a thousand people, maybe two thousand people there. You're not used to big crowds. I mean, when you go to synagogue once a week, it's just the people in your village. And it's not that many people. What is he going to do with this huge group of people? I mean, could we be his army? Could he? He's been talking. You hear about the kingdom of God. Could he use us to do something about this? Could he use us to be an uprising to overthrow the tyranny we've been living under for all these years? What would I do if he said that? What would how would I respond? Would I follow him into battle? And as you're thinking these thoughts, uh, you start to kind of wind through the crowd and you see a group of people up on a hillside start to sit down. And you look and there's a young man, just kind of ordinary looking, and he's sitting, maybe he's sitting on a rock a little bit above everybody else. And you, you say, OK, we need, to, we need to sit down. So you calm everybody down. You sit your family down. You lay out your, your blanket. And your kids, who normally are just going crazy, are there. This is so different. They're actually calm. They're actually sitting still, crisscross applesauce, and they're just they're watching the, the guy that's getting ready to speak. And as you sit down, you begin to hear him say this. God blesses you who are spiritually poor. For the heavenly kingdom is going to be yours. 
God blesses you if you are hurting and sorrowful right now. Because you are going to be comforted. Now, as you're, as you're hearing this, he keeps blessing you. And you're thinking, does he know who he's talking to? But we're not the people that God is blessing. I mean, we, we're just ordinary folks. If he's going to bless people, if God blesses people, it's probably the people that memorize all the scripture and write it down, all those the scribes of the law. Or maybe it's the people that, it, it's the Pharisees that do everything right. They're the ones that he would bless. But he continues speaking and he says, you know, if you follow me, even if you're persecuted, you're going to be blessed. And you wonder again, what is he calling us to? What does he mean by following him? Why would we be persecuted for following him? I haven't come to do away with the law, he says. In fact, you may have heard that, but it's all going to be fulfilled. It's all significant. And if you obey the law and you teach others to obey it, then you're going to be highly regarded in the kingdom of God. By the way, you may be interested in the kingdom. And if you want to enter it, that's great. But you're going to have to be better than the Pharisees to enter it. You're going to have to be better than the rabbis to enter it. This is the moment when you do the mind blown. What? I've I've heard that he speaks about the kingdom coming near. And I know that God has promised that that he would set us free through the prophets. But what does he mean be better than the Pharisees to enter the kingdom? I want to be a part of the kingdom. Those are the promises God has said. But how, how can anybody be better than the people that do everything right? That doesn't make sense. He speaks again. They've taught you that long ago God told you not to murder or else you'd be judged in court. But now I'm teaching you that the anger you feel, the inward rage that leads you to hurt one another, that's judged in God's court. They've taught you that insulting your brother and sister, uh, using the word raka or idiot, uh, will make you liable before the Sanhedrin. You have to go and speak to them. But I'm telling you, when you call each other contemptuous names, when you, when you say these things, even in your mind, about one another, like fool, you're liable to Gehenna. Yeah, that, that dump of fire and trash. So when you do have conflict and that anger is building up inside you, when the names are starting to pop up what you want to call each other, go make peace. Even before you go to the temple to offer your gifts, Make peace with one another first. Then your hearts will be ready for worship. You're hearing what he's saying and your heart's beating fast because you know you have anger, you have animosity. You have a hatred for this, this Roman government that's oppressing you. But you've also got anger towards other people that you've carried with you that you haven't let go. Does God care about that? Does he care about the way I feel? The rabbi continues. They've taught you another command. Don't commit adultery. But now I'm teaching you that if you carry lust in in your heart to cheat on your spouse with someone else, it's as if you've already done the cheating. So if your eye, who's supposed to give you vision so that you can walk the straight and narrow, instead causes you to stumble into sin, pluck it out. Get rid of it. It's better to lose something dear to you that leads you to sin 
rather than for your whole self to be thrown into that fire and trash pit. Or maybe it's your hand, your, your writing hand, if any of us wrote anymore, that's itching to sin. Cut it off. It's worth losing something dear to you to avoid those fires. They've taught you that the law says, men, if you want to divorce, just make sure you give your ex the, pro- the proper paperwork, send her on her way, and you're fine. But I'm teaching you that just to use that legal rule uh, as an excuse for your selfish desires is not good enough. Marriage is more important than that. Divorcing someone other than for unfaithfulness and then finding a new wife is the same as adultery. And you're making her responsible, your ex responsible for adultery as well. Now you are, you're shocked that he's saying these things. And he speaks with such authority, like he's got a direct line from God. And he's speaking and looking into our hearts and, and knowing not just what we do, but what we feel and what, we, what our motives are. Now the rabbi shifts in his seat. He's letting his words sink in. And he says, they've also taught you that the law says not to break your promises. If you make a vow to the Lord, you better keep it. But now I'm teaching you to stop saying these types of vows altogether. You're way in over your head. And you're just using religious jargon to try to to make yourself feel better. When you pray and you swear by things like heaven... You're swearing by something you don't own. That's God's throne. When you swear by the earth, that's where he puts his feet. You have nothing to do with that. When you swear by Jerusalem, when you swear by your own head, these things are too big for you. You can't even control whether your hair falls out or turns gray. And so why do you swear by them? These things are beyond you. Just when you when you say something, let your yes, just be yes. Say yes, I'll do it. Or no, I won't do it. Anything beyond that, any of the religious lingo you want to use is... It's from the evil one. Now your eyes are, are glued on Jesus, but now your youngest one, is, it starts to wail at your feet. And it's probably something that her big brother did. And so you scoop her up and you, you walk away. You don't want the teacher to be bothered. You don't want the crowd to be bothered. And as you walk away, you just think about what you just heard. It seems like the teacher is saying that all these things that we do... To follow God's law. That God cares more about what's going on with our motives, with our hearts. I, but the thing is, it's great for the teacher to say that. But how do I change the way I think about things? How do I change how I feel about things? It's fine to say that, that we, should, we should live better, but how do we... <clears throat> if the Pharisees can't cut it, how can we? Right. How can I have a new heart, a new mind? And then you pause in your steps and you remember something that you heard in synagogue not too long ago. They had unrolled the, the prophet Ezekiel and read from it that day. And this is what you remember. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. You will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you 
so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you think to yourself, could it, could it be? He didn't say anything about a spirit, about God. But how else can I change my heart? How else can we, can we live differently unless God does something within us? And as you're thinking these deep thoughts, your little one's now better and is running back to the family. So you gather her up and you walk back to your family, walk through the crowd and you sit down quietly and you listen to the rest of what Jesus has to say. Okay, you can snap out of the moment, wake up. That was the moment for these folks. And I I wanted to try to recreate what it might have felt like, obviously more from from a person in our perspective looking in on it and imagining what it could be like. I feel like um, when we read these words of Jesus, the, the difficulty is that it's challenging because these are not just um, sometimes we can read it like it's just something that Jesus said to somebody else. But when we look at it and we talk, think about the anger that he's calling out in people, the anger that, that we hold against each other instead of making peace with each other, we hold on to it. When he calls out lust, when he calls out divorce, and, and especially I think he's calling out the, the way in which People just use the law to just have divorce and, and, and change relationships, whatever was convenient for them. Um, when he talks about the way that people spoke back then, and I feel like a lot of what he was saying is he was saying you use a lot of religious talk, but you don't know what you're doing. And it's really wrong when you do it. All those things are things that we have experienced. We live. Um, it's known to us. And so... It's challenging because Jesus is not calling out our actions. He calls out what's going on inside of us, how we feel about things, how we think about things. And then the question is, well, if I want to be part of your kingdom, how do I change that? How can I change those inward parts of me? And I think the message is part of the message of the Sermon on the Mount is that he being a part of the kingdom is about change. But it's a change that's going to come by the Holy Spirit putting a new heart and a new mind in us and renewing us. Now, those folks didn't know about all that. In fact, these weren't these were not longtime Jesus followers. These were not saints. These were not um, these were these were not high, you know, people that were considered anything in the world. And yet these were the people that Jesus was speaking these things to these these life world changing things to because it doesn't matter who it is. In the kingdom, he wants to make us whole and holy. And he wants to do a work that changes not just our outward appearances, but everything about us. And so the part of that is, is kind of Christianity 101. If you know about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does to transform us. And at the same time, we live lives where it's not as clean cut as that. We live lives where there's a lot of mess and brokenness that we're feeling and that we're living that's inside of us. Sometimes it's the things we do, but a lot of times it's just the way that we know that we think and feel about things that have yet to be transformed. And Jesus not only challenges that, but he also says there is hope for that. There is hope because there's grace and forgiveness. And as Melinda read that 
that scripture about Hosea, that funny scripture. The great message of that is God saying, I know how you are. I know that you cheat on me, but I still love you. I'm still coming after you. I still want you and I'm going to have grace for you. And so I want you guys to think and know that God is still coming after you and he wants all of you. He wants your whole heart. He wants the good, the bad and ugly and his words, however challenging they are to us, therefore are good. So we're going to take some time um, to be in silence. And I'm going to give us a minute. And what I want you to do is listen. I want you to listen after what God might be saying to you, what he might be calling you toward. And it's not just about what we've been discussing these last 20 minutes, but also um, what he's been saying to you the whole time we've been together. So let's be silent and listen to the Lord.